Thank you. And then moms and dads and everybody else in the congregation, would you please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, we talked about three weeks ago about living passionately, four weeks ago actually, uh, living passionately, not just surviving, but living with passion as Jesus did. We talked about loving completely and how we need to love God and love uh, fellow human beings as we love ourselves. And then we talked about learning humbly last week and how the, the Apostle Peter thought he was all set, thought he was, uh, you know, he was just, he was in there like Flint with Jesus and he would never leave him. And if anything happened to Jesus, he, I'll die with you, Lord, you don't have to worry about that. And Jesus said, guess what? Before, uh, before the cock crows twice, you're going to deny me three times. And he did. Uh, and, but he learned from that and he didn't get cast on the, on the trash heap. Uh, of, of has-beens and, and good-for-nothings. Uh, God used that backslidden Baptist preacher on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. And so uh, we need to learn humbly from our failures and from our problems. And today we want to talk about leaving boldly because there's more than one way to leave this earth, as you know. In the last two weeks, I thought I was saying four. There's been five deaths and funerals that uh, we've been involved in, five of them, two of them family members for me. And uh, a third one yesterday was a, a church family member for about 30 years. Uh, and then the other two people I didn't know until the last two weeks, but they've passed away. And so we either leave through the rapture or we leave through death. How many, if you have your choice, want to leave by the rapture? Let me see your hands. How many just want an agonizing, slow, torturous death before you go? Okay, just one of you, Jimmy. Okay, all right. All right, yeah. Uh, die in the dream. Okay, so, uh, so we. I want. I don't know about you, but I want the rapture to come. I've been praying for that. I'm. I'm ready. Uh, I. I thank God for His long sufferingness and the fact that He's put it off. And people have received Christ in the last uh, several years. That if He'd have come ten years ago, a lot of people have been left behind. Uh, but the Lord is coming back. But if we don't go through the rapture, then we're going to go through what we call death, which. And I read a few minutes ago, the Apostle Paul called falling asleep. But we will leave this earth. And uh, preachers try to tell people that. You know, Jesus had to, came to a point when he was going to leave the earth. And, and he tried to tell his disciples, and they didn't understand it. They just didn't get it. That he, I mean, they were, they were waiting for the kingdom. They were waiting for him to kick Rome out of Israel, to get up on the throne, and Israel to be restored to a world power. That's what they were looking for. Uh, and so when he told them he was going to go to Jerusalem and die, they, they did not get it. Well, preachers have been telling congregations for 2,000 years that, you know, you're going to, if, the Lord, if the Lord doesn't come back, we're all going to die. And, and people just don't understand uh, that it's important to be ready because we never know when that's going to happen. Uh, most of us who do understand uh, what's going to happen want to leave something of value behind. I, I think everybody wants to leave some kind of a legacy I think everybody wants to, to leave a good name, if possible. I think everybody wants to take care of the family. I, uh, one of the things, quite frankly, that bothers me about uh, if I precede my wife in death is not being here to take care of her every need. And I try to uh, outline things, try to let her know where things are, try to keep her aware. I've counseled too many widows who didn't have a clue about bank accounts, about insurances, about anything. Uh, and so I try to, try to keep her apprised of all of that, uh, 
so, so that in the event that happens, that she's taken care of. Uh, you want to leave a better world than what you came into. You want to uh, have your life to accounted for something. Probably all of us feel that way. <clears throat> so what will you leave behind? Uh, the answer is everything uh, that's material. Uh, some things are eternal, some things will last, some things are temporary, they'll be destroyed like sandcastles on the seashore. This guy who creates all these beautiful sandcastles uh, out here at Coronado Beach, uh, you know, it's almost like each one ought to be a preserved work of art cast in bronze or something, then it wouldn't be a sandcastle, it'd be a bronze castle, but whatever, uh, they're, they're beautiful, uh, but some things are, gonna, are temporary and will be gone uh, in, in a matter of time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, you've probably read this many times. Now, if any person build upon this foundation, which foundation? Well, if you go to the verses preceding that, it's talking about Jesus Christ as the only foundation. There is no foundation better than that of Jesus Christ, the Son of Almighty God. So if any person build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones... And, and these are works represented by that which is of value. Gold is valuable. Silver is valuable. Diamonds, rubies, sapphires are valuable. So they represent works that will last and endure. But that's not the only building materials found in this verse because there's not only gold, silver, and precious stones, but there's wood, <clears throat> which is fuel for fire. There is hay, which I thought at first, I thought, well, wait a minute, you know, hay is feed, right, for stock. So, hey, I mean, that's, that's of some value. But when I looked up the, the Greek word for this, I found out it wasn't really hay like we're thinking of, but it's the weeds of the field. It's the weeds of the field that maybe some of them have pretty blooms, but then they're just gone in no time at all, and they're good for nothing but to be burned up. And stubble, which are the stalks. Um, rep, works represented by things that are not valuable, things to be burned. So you don't eat the stalk, you eat the corn off the stalk, and the stalks are, are thrown into the fire and, and burned up. So, so the, the works that we do in this life, preaching, singing, playing the piano, uh, going to Ronald McDonald House and serving families going through tough times, uh, whatever it is that you do can be represented by gold, silver, and precious stone on one hand, or wood, hay, and stubble on the other hand. So what's that all about? Well, because the Bible continues and said everyone's work will be made manifest or apparent. So one of these days we're going to find out what works we did endure and which ones uh, don't endure. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire, sh the fire shall test or try every man's work of what sort it is. So it's like all of our works that we've done in this life uh, are going to be represented by these building materials, and a torch is going to be put to it, and then everything that's consumed by the fire is gone, and the gold, silver, and precious stones are left, and that's what we did for Christ, that's of any value. So not all works are e equal. Not all works will follow us into heaven. But there are some things that we can... And by the way, when we take these rewards into heaven, guess what we do with them? We give them to the Lord because He's the one who made it possible because in us is just total corruption. We are sinners. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Uh, we're not righteous in and of ourselves. We're righteous only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so we take these crowns, we take these jewels, we take this gold and silver, and we lay at the feet of our Savior. But there are three things I want to suggest that we can take with us today. And the first one is convictions. Take you, you will take your convictions with you. 
Now, let me talk about convictions for a minute because I think there's a misunderstanding about what convictions really are. Convictions should be based on absolute truth. Now, I know today's generation doesn't believe in absolute truth, and that's an oxymoron because by saying they don't believe in absolute truth, they're being absolute. They, don't figure, they haven't got that figured out. But uh, abs- there is absolute truth, and that absolute truth comes only from Almighty God. He is the only absolute truth there is. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It'll last forever. In Matthew 7, 26, everyone that hears these sayings of mine, Jesus says, and does them not, will be like a foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. We've got a beautiful beach around this island. If you go down here to the sand and begin to build a house on the sand, uh, assuming the building inspector doesn't catch you before it happens, it is going to be washed away when the tide comes in and when the, uh, when the waves come in and, and wash against it because uh, sand is not a foundation upon which you can build. You've got to put pilings on if you're in the sand. Piers and bridges last only because of the pilings that go deep down into bedrock so there's a sure foundation. Convictions are not preferences. Now, in your notes, it's got it reversed. Preferences, not convictions. I changed this after it went to print. So, uh, but convictions are not preferences. For example, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee, that's my preference. Uh, The old rugged cross, that's my preference. Uh, there's, some, there's some gospel, there's some new uh, choruses that I absolutely love and I've come to love. Uh, but if it comes right down to it, that's my, and you, your preference may be choruses. And you, may, you, might, you might love those and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But we need to understand they're not convictional things. The Bible doesn't tell, even though there's a whole book in the Bible that was a song book, the book of Psalms, there, there are no musical scores in that book. They're, they're, they're not, the time signature is not recorded as the only, uh, you know, inspired God-ordained time signature that's allowed for music. Uh, it doesn't tell you about harmony and melody and, and rhythm and all that. I mean, it doesn't tell you, it doesn't specify. And God is the creator of music itself, so uh, he gives us some leeway, I believe. And I don't think there's such a thing as, as bad music in, in and of itself. Sometimes there are bad lyrics, Maybe I should take that back. I, there might be some music that I would say is bad. That might be a preferential thing. Some of you kids might say, oh, there's nothing wrong with that music. I love it. I don't know. But, uh, but you know, c- but I'm just talking about convictions are not simply preferences. Preferences can be cultural things. Preferences can change. Some of you have had your preferences change for a variety of reasons, different ways we could talk. For example, uh, dress styles change. Uh, bell bottoms, not so much now. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm, I mean, just uh, I don't know. So I look back. Pat's been going through some pictures back in the '70s and '80s, and I'm going like, "Holy cow, we actually wore those clothes." It's not my preference today, but uh, it was back then. So preferences can change. And by the way, preferences can be wrong. So preferences do not equate to convictions. Convictions are not preferences. Also, convictions are not philosophies in and of themselves. Well, they, the convictions are something other than that. The, the philosophies are the product of man's mind and ability to reason. And some things are just not able to be reasoned out. 
Think with me a minute. Why would God die for you and me? Is that logical? Why would he die for Pilate? Not you, Fitz. I'm talking about Pontius Pilate. Why would he die for the centurions that nailed him to the cross? Why would he die for people who hate him and curse by his name, blaspheme using his name? Why would he die? And yet he did. He died. He so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. Why would God do that? It's not logical, but it, it's truth. And, and, I, and I believe it's conviction. Conviction should be based on the word of God who changes not, the living God, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Convictions are to die for, literally. And Christians through the years, the medieval times in particular, uh, died for their convictions, convictions that, that, that the Word of God was supernaturally inspired, convictions that Jesus Christ is deity indeed, that He is the Son of God and God the Son, that He literally died on the cross and was buried, that He literally rose again after three days and three nights, that He's coming back one day. There's some convictions, some things that we should never, ever, ever compromise. There are other things that we can, you know, I mean, styles and types of worship, those can be different, but... Convictions ought to be based on things we're willing to die for. Convictions come not just from studying the Bible, but by putting truth into action in your life. Several years ago, I can't remember how many years ago now, I bought a set of Rosetta Stone CDs. Have you heard of Rosetta Stone in Spanish? I bought those things. I put them on my desk for about a year, a little over that. I still couldn't speak a word of Spanish, even though I paid for the Rosetta Stone. So then I opened them up, and I installed them in my computer. And I even watched some of the presentations in the Rosetta Stone. And I still can't say more than como esta and muy bien and taco and burrito and things like that. Because unless you really give yourself, you can buy the system, you can unwrap it, you can load it into your computer, you can go through a few of the classes, you can have all the good intentions in the world, and yet if you don't use it, you're not going to have a grasp of it. And it's it's that way with the Word of God. Most everybody here owns the Bible, maybe several of them. Maybe you've got a bunch of Bibles, and, and, and you go by, and you look at it, and every once in a while you pick it up, and you dust it off, and maybe some of you read it, and maybe you've read through the entire Bible. I don't know, but until we read the truths of God and understand the truths of God and put it into practice in our lives, it won't do us a bit of good. A belief is something that we hold to. A conviction is something that holds to us. A belief is something we hold to. A conviction is something that holds on to us. And I believe we'll take our convictions into heaven with us one day. Second thing is character. Something this this world really needs a lot of right now. Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, which means to perceive or recognize beforehand, he did also predestinate, he determined or decreed to be conformed, sumorphos, I think that's how you pronounce it, sumorphos, which means together in form. He wanted us to be conformed, together in form, with the image of the likeness of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. 
Now, I want you to know something. As out of control as your life may seem like at times, as out of control as it may seem like, God is always, always, always in control. God never panics. God never says, well, I'll swan. I didn't know that was going to happen. God knows everything from the very beginning, and he has a plan. He has a plan for your life. By the way, he has plan Bs and plan Cs and plan Ds. God doesn't give up on you just because you mess up, just because you make a wrong decision. His plan is to make you and me more like Jesus Christ, to make us in the image and the form of Jesus Christ. I love what Tim Tebow said a few years ago when being traded to New York. He said, I may never be a starting quarterback again, but I'm not worried about that because I know I serve a living God who holds my future, and that's all that concerns me. I love that. It doesn't matter if our goals aren't reached necessarily. It's what God's goals are that are important. So he wants to build the traits that are in Jesus' life into you and into me. That's called character. And our character will go with us into heaven when we leave this life. Michelangelo one time was asked how in the world he had the inspiration, the ability uh, to carve and sculpt the famous statue David. And you know the answer. He responded, well, I just chipped away everything that didn't look like David. Now, if you're a sculpture, you maybe understand that. When we first, when we first moved here to California, it seemed like everybody was an artist. Everybody painted stuff, and eh, they, they did good jobs. And we're like, wow, this is cool. We, we're in California, now we can be artists. So we went to Standard Brands, if you remember that story. We went to Standard Brands, brought a couple of canvases, and brought some paints, and brought some brushes. And we went home, and we started painting. We painted for about an hour and a half. And I had basically a gray canvas after an hour and a half. I seriously did. And uh, we put them up in the attic. As far as I know, they're still in the attic. I don't ever know what happened to that. Uh, but if you're a sculptor, maybe you can chip away everything that doesn't look like David, and it works. But that's what God does. He chips away everything on us that doesn't look like Jesus. I've got a, a, a picture of a... How many of you ladies would love to have this hanging around your neck right here? Or, or maybe mounted in a, in a, in a gold ring, that, that, that chunk of... Because that's what it came from. You have to start with the diamond that, as it's found in, in the raw in nature, and, and then you begin to work on it, and a person who knows what they're doing uh, can chip away and make a stone of great value. And you and I, if we can take the analogy here, are like diamonds in the rough. That's, that's us right here. And God wants us to be like this. He wants this. This is beautiful. One reason because it reflects the light. It refracts the light. Actually, it it, it takes that light, breaks it into the spectrum, and shines it out all. Over. That's what Jesus wants you and me to do. He wants us to reflect and refract the light that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are diamonds in the rough. To become attractive and really valuable, we have to be cut. And and, and the diamond cutter will chip away any extra material in order to make a beautiful perfectly cut diamond depending on the cut that uh, that he's going for. God uses three things to build character into our lives. One of them is problems. Anyone here ever had a problem? Let me see your hand. Okay. 
Anybody here, are you a problem? Uh, okay, all right, okay. <clears throat> problems come to all of us. No one is immune. And problems always have a purpose. Some problems are irritation. They're just irritation. They're just little problems that, you know, it's like something rattling in the car. Car runs fine. You know, you can get in and drive from here to the grocery store. You can get in here and drive from here to Connecticut, and it'll run just fine. You know, you just put gas in it. But there's something that rattles. And, and, and all of the incredible ability of that vehicle to transport you literally across the whole country is, is defeated because of a stupid little rattle somewhere in the dashboard. You know what I'm talking about? Little irritations, little problems. Some of you do know what I'm talking about, all right? And, and it's like sandpaper, and it, and it kind of grates on us, and it's, send, and it's sanding away the things that need to go. Other problems that come to our life, they're like jackhammers. They turn your world upside down. Turn your world absolutely upside down. And God's using those things, too. Either way, their, their purpose is to make us more like Jesus Christ as we cooperate with him and them. So problems, yeah, you know, get them solved if we can, get through them, whatever. Realize, though, that there are purpose. there's a purpose behind that. That's part of the all things work together for good to them to love God. Pat came home from Escondido the other day, went to Vons. She called me. She had a flat tire. Now, flat tires can be irritations. They can be problems. But you know what? I was so thankful it didn't happen on the freeway. I was thankful she didn't have a blowout. The tires needed replaced anyhow. So uh, why, why sweat the small stuff, right? Whoever wrote the book, you know, it's all small stuff. Well, it's not all small stuff anyhow. But, but problems come to make us more like Jesus Christ if we cooperate with him in the process. Second thing that God uses are pressures. Pressures teach us patience. I, one of my favorite prayers is, God, give me patience and give it to me right now. Uh, that's not the way it works. Patience doesn't come right now. Pressure brings out the best and the worst in us, and prayer and faith are great pressure relief valves. My mom used to cook with a pressure cooker. Does anybody here still use a pressure cooker? Okay. Does anybody know what a pressure cooker is besides those who use them? Okay. All right. I used to love that thing as a kid because mom would put a bunch of beans and maybe a roast in that thing, and she'd start it off, and, and after a little while, that little thing on top would go, Shh. Pretty soon it's going back and forth and every which way. You know what that little thing is for? It's to keep the stupid pressure kicker from blowing up and putting green beans on the ceiling, which it did one time. It's to keep that uh, from happening. It's a kind of a relief valve. And prayer and faith are great relief valves when pressures come into our lives. We don't go looking for pressures. Pressures find us. And sometimes... Sometimes it's self-induced, isn't it? Sometimes we put more pressure on ourselves than what we need to. The third thing God uses, not only problems and pressures, but people. People, especially the ones who rub us the wrong way, the ones who require extra grace, the ones who irritate you to death, the ones tough to love sometimes. You know who they are. No elbowing anybody, okay? You know who they are. You may be sitting next to one right now. But problems, pressures, people, God uses to help make us more 
like his son, Jesus Christ. So we'll take our convictions into heaven. We'll take our character with us. The third thing is we'll take community with us. We'll take community with us. Now, what do I mean by that? In Luke 10, verse 40, Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. She came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair? <laughs> Lord, it's not fair. I want you to think about that a minute. We, we see things from the perspective of it's not fair what happens to me. Now, how come it happened to me? How come I didn't get that promotion? How come I didn't get that award? How come I didn't get that job? How come I didn't win that Powerball? Well, I didn't win it because I didn't buy a ticket. That's why I didn't win it. But, but how come that happened to so-and-so? How come they get all the cool things and I get all the crummy things? It's unfair. Every time you start thinking that way, don't think in terms of what's fair. Think in terms of what's just and what's righteous. And that will change the way you look at things. But Martha was distracted. There's a key. She was distracted by the dinner she's cooking. And she said, isn't it unfair to you, Lord, that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. There's only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. So she's got, she knows what's happening here. She knows what's more important. God's word lasts forever. Godly character lasts forever. And God's people last forever. And that's why relationships are so important. That's why church is important. What we're doing right now is important. You may say, you know what, preacher, I, I don't need this. I can go out in the woods, and I feel closer to God in the woods. I, I, maybe you do. But God designed you and me to be around people too. God wants us to be social. God wants us to be interconnected. God, he, he talks about one being vulnerable, but two and three together are much stronger and, and a few can put more enemies to flight than just one. And so there are many teachings in the Word of God of the value of being together. And we're commanded not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together as a matter of some is. Some people don't get together. Some people don't congregate. Some people look for anything and everything else to go do except for being in God's house. But church is important. I've given my life to ministering to people through churches. Small groups are important. Men's group, ladies' group, you guys, you, you make friendships, you network together, you grow closer to each other. When you have problems, you rely upon each other, you call upon each other. Why? Because you've networked together. You've got, a, you've got a bond there. It's important, guys. You know what? Women are much better at that, by the way, than guys are. And, and we need to, to network with other guys. We need to depend upon each other. We need to be there for each other. Ministry and mission is important. What God calls you to do is absolutely important. Soul winning is important because souls represent people who are going to live forever somewhere in either heaven or hell. So Marcia got so busy with the routine. She got so busy with the mundane. I'm not saying it's not important. She was fixing a good dinner, but she got so caught up in the work, she lost sight of the truly important, which was the relationships. Relationship with her sister was strained. Relationship with her Lord was strained. It's not fair. God, this is not fair. And she was distracted by what she was doing. Believe it or not, ministry can get so busy that people can get in the way. I know preachers who say the ministry would be great if it weren't for people. 
If you didn't have people, you wouldn't have ministry. People are ministry, and people come to us with their problems and, and their difficulties and their situations and their circumstances, and that's the way people come. You get It's all part of the whole package. People who participate in the Sandcastle competition down here one time were interviewed, and and they were someone was asked, "Don't you get discouraged putting all that time, effort, and sweat into the sandcastles only to see the tide take them away?" And the answer really surprised the interviewer, because their answer, a really good one, was, "Was we we love the process? It doesn't bother us. We love the process. It's not the finished product. It's the process we love that we love." And folks, I love the process. I love coming to this place. I love interacting with you. I love hearing from you. I love hearing the good things that happen. I, 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 I don't love hearing the bad things, but I need to hear the bad things. We work for each other. We are a family. Man, I'll tell you, church is family. Some of you people come from, you know, you come from Texas and New Jersey and Connecticut and Alaska and Florida, and you're out here, and, and so this is the family that many of you have because your family is, your, your, your blood family is somewhere else. But this becomes family. And I'm going to tell you something, in some ways, and I don't mean this to sound uh, disrespectful to family, blood family, but in some ways this family is closer than blood family for many of us. So castles get knocked down. They're destroyed. It's not the product. It's the process, the team, the people, the relationships, the fellowship. It's family. It's church. It's work. It's people. And everything else is going to get washed away. Guess what? The tallest buildings in the world are going to go in Dubai or wherever they are. They're going to be gone one day. The most incredible homes are going to be gone one day. Uh, all the bank accounts are going to be burned up one day. All of the stuff that we, we think is so valuable today are going to be gone one day. But people are forever. That difficult neighbor, that person at work that is so lost, your husband, your wife, are we concerned enough about them that we weep for them, we witness to them, we talk to them, we let them know they are important. We get so distracted by all the stuff going on, we forget about people. Three things will be in heaven forever. Convictions, character, community. Most everything else will be lost behind. You've heard the story of the man walking on the beach, and he got up early and went on for a walk, and, and it seemed like there were thousands of starfish that were left behind when the tide went out. As he was walking along, thinking about that and looking at that, he saw a young boy taking a starfish and throwing it into the water reaching down and getting another starfish, throwing it into the water, reaching down again and getting another and throwing it into the water. He got up to him and said, son, you're, you're fighting a losing battle. You're not going to get very much accomplished. It's not going to make much of a difference because there's so many of these starfish up here on the beach. The boy reached down, picked up another starfish, looked at it, threw it in the water. He said, you know what? It makes a difference for that starfish. Yeah, the starfish all around us, folks. You'll run into them in a little while when you go to lunch. You maybe hang out with them later on today in the park. You'll go to work with them tomorrow morning. You live next door to them. 
We can't reach them all, but we can reach some. And for the some that we reach, it makes a huge difference. Helen Keller said it this way, I am only one, but I am still one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And just because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something. Let's make a difference. Before we leave this earth, either by the rapture or by death, let's make a difference so we can then leave boldly. Would you bow your heads, please? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless each person here. Lord, I pray you would lay on our hearts people that we can make a difference in their lives if we just will. I pray we wouldn't be so distracted by life and by the trappings of life that we forget about people who are the most important. I pray, God, you'd help us to have convictions based on your word that are strong convictions, that we'd take a stand for what's right and decent. We'd be tactful and loving while we do it. There's no excuse for us ever being mean. We would be loving, but we would be firm in the foundation that's built upon Christ. I pray, God, you'd help us to have the right kind of character. And that when problems come and when pressures come and when people who are difficult come along, that we'd realize you're using them to make us more like your son. Father, bless us, and I pray for those who need to receive Christ as their personal Savior today, for those who need to rededicate their lives to you today, for those who need to surrender to maybe ministry, maybe something that you've been talking to someone here about, about a ministry that they need to have and something they need to do for you. I pray that today would be the day of the surrender. And I pray, God, that you'd give us a heart of love for people around us, that we would be the cut diamond that you want us to be, refracting and reflecting your glorious light. And we'll pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.